Oh boy. What up? I'm Kiss. I'm Damon. We we got a doozy on our hands. I'm uh I'm sitting back. I'm reclining because of how good this episode yes. is. We feel fed. Absolutely fulfilled. Buttons popping off the show. <laughs> it's Thanksgiving here, <laughs> and I'm very grateful that we had our wonderful guest uh, today. For those who don't know, what we do here on Ergo is showcase the folks reshaping the culture of our city for the more equitable and creative. I am, as always, Kiss. I'm Damon. And like we said, one of our favorites, one of our best, and truly one of the like, bear with me on this analogy. We'll, we'll give you the rope. An organizer Olympus. Okay. Top of the mountain. We're going the Greek islands. Right. Santorini over here. Mm-hmm. You got the the Cyclades over here. You got a whole bunch of islands. And then there's just Kathy Koenos. <laughs> Smack dab in the middle. <laughs> I'm going to put her on like Mal Killer and Jaro just to make the shit blacker. <laughs> <laughs> Great conversation with educator, organizer, and founder of the Black Youth Project, Kathy Cohen. So without further ado, let's get to a conversation with the brilliant, the one and only, Kathy Cohen. We have organizer, academic, activist, political thinker, and actor, Kathy Cohen. Wow. Is in the building. Wow. I've never had that before. Word. Thank you. The, the, the combination, yeah. I'm kind of like, I'm going to take y'all. Yeah. Y'all, my hype yeah, yeah, man yeah, yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, every every class go. should start with that. That's right. Got <laughs> 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 your homework. <laughs> <laughs> Make a good point. Hit the air horn. It's <laughs> great. Students at UFC. If I walked in the room, yeah. like, bruh, bruh, bruh. <laughs> it would be like, what the hell? Oh, my God. So Some deans would get letters. <laughs> oh, a lot of people would get left. Oh. <laughs> or, or it would be like, see? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we tried to tell you. We tried to tell you. What they actually already they wrote the letter way That's before. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, trying to press it. That's why I stay in the court. They so like, yeah. so we, we, we always <laughs> like to start with a, with a two-part question. Mm-hmm. In this time, and define time however you want. So mm-hmm. that could be this hour, this day, this season, yes. this lifetime. Mm-hmm. How is the world treating you, and how are you treating the world? Such a, a lovely question, right? We always of, appreciate you, that. Thank you. Thank <laughs> yeah, you for that. It, is, it is. It is a lovely question to think about. How's the world treating me? I think about it on multiple levels. The world is traumatizing me, mm. right? From Palestine to Venezuela to airplane crashes to uh, um, Syria, yeah. you know, to the attacks on black humanity, right, yeah. throughout the world, and humanity, to advance racialized capitalism that is mm. about exploitation um, and profit for a very few, to mm-hmm. watching, like, this crazy story about college admissions mm-hmm. and uh, those of wealth trying to, in fact, leverage their wealth to make sure that, in fact, their children have access to certain types of institutions, mm. um, to, you know, Paul Manafort being charged today after getting this light. So in in that sense, the world, mm-hmm. the politics of the world, the headlines of the world mm-hmm. traumatize and worry me, yeah. right? Um, on the flip side, right, the rest of the world, the people of the world mm-hmm. who are, in fact, resisting, who say that our lives, in fact, do matter, who come together in collective formations to demand not just kind of dignity and respect, but the redistribution of resources mm-hmm. to the possibility of two largely neoliberal black women running <laughs> the city of Chicago. There's some there's some symbolic importance there, I guess. Um, 
you know, at that level, I feel like, okay, we can make this work. Mm -hmm. Then at the next level of just my people, the people I love, my family, my chosen family, uh, you know, in that sense, I feel bolstered. I feel loved. Mm -hmm. I feel like, okay, we can do this another day. I feel like there's possibility. I sit, you know, when I'm in my classroom with students and the students that I work with, the graduate students. So I, I feel like there, there is not just hope, but there's resistance, mm-hmm. right, yeah. that has emerged and continues to emerge, mm-hmm. continues to innovate. So, you know, I, that's yeah. a long yeah, that, that answer. Was, I know you're like, answer. you're like, come on No, now. no, you're giving it to us. <laughs> we got time. Yeah, you yeah. Got, yeah we got <laughs> a lot of time and I got coffee. <laughs> so, um, that's a good conversation. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> so, so I want to yeah. start with the, the top of that answer yeah. of the traumatizing nature mm-hmm. of being a knower, right, mm-hmm. and being a seer. Mm-hmm. Before we get into, like, any of the, the political analysis, mm-hmm. just on the... The, when I hear trauma, I think you know, social, emotional mm. being to the body, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and so we, I think we often think of like being informed, being active, being engaged as like an empowering position, but in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. it's really painful, right? Yeah. And, and that's what I hear in your answer. So, yeah. how how do you experience and like mitigate, engage mm. the, the pain of mm. the knowing and that the world is traumatizing us when you have all of this very brutal information. Right, right. I mean, well, I think, you know, knowing, again, has kind of two sides, as you explained in the question, which is um, knowing can be uh, depressing, mm-hmm. right, uh, <laughs> to say the least. I was, I was teaching yesterday in my class, Contemporary African-American Politics, and we were talking about it's the end of the class. Like, mm-hmm. how do we think about this contemporary period? Contemporary period being post-civil rights. Right. Um, and we were using the framework of Afro-pessimism. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So what happens when we can frame this as the inability for people to understand the humanity of black people, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just most basic level. That's depressing mm-hmm. uh, to say, <laughs> say the, the least, least. Yeah. yeah to say the least right um and students were like well whoa, 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 whoa. i'm not sure i want to like go there because that doesn't tell us any way forward it doesn't you know it just shuts things down and i don't think of myself as an afro pessimist um can you say that sentence of how you explained it again because i've tried to look into afro pessimism a yeah. few times and it's like I, 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 I hear what you're saying don't 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 quote me okay. because i'm not an yeah, afro pessimist yeah. <laughs> but i i think those who write in that realm Mm -hmm. would say, of course, there have been moments of what we might call success or um, evolution in black politics and the condition of black people. That is not to be denied, Mm -hmm. but that those might, in fact, be um, the extraordinary moments. And if we look at a kind of uh, go through uh, in in terms of how black people are situated, Mm You know, of course, it's different than slavery or Jim Crow, but they often talk about what's ca- called the kind of afterlife of slavery, mm-hmm. right? You know, I was showing a number of slides to my students, and we think about the killing of black people that continues, mm-hmm. the impoverishment of black people that continues, the system of mass incarceration that actually does continue. The You know, in Chicago, the closing of 100 schools over the last, what, Decade or more, yeah. largely on the south yeah. and west side. The number right? is one hundred. It, yeah, if you, it's so it's fifty in that, in that moment. But if you go back, yeah, yeah, if you go back, it's nearly a hundred, right? So 
the question becomes, I think, that Afro-pessimists would ask us, how does that continue and be produced if it's not based on denying the kind of full humanity of black people, right? right. Like these are not just uh, one-offs. <laughs> I think they would say right. that there's a – that when you look at the long history of, of the condition of black people, it is one of – degradation, one of marginalization, one of oppression. Mm -hmm. Again, they would say, of course, in that space, there's always the possibility that a few will survive, will in fact be, uh, will experience mobilization, um, and will be held out as examples of what's possible, mm -hmm. yeah. right, in advanced racialized capitalism. <laughs> um, so so I, the point of all this was to say, there's a kind of framework of Afro-pessimism that we can hold on to. But as I said to my students, I struggle, right? My mother and father, but my mother in particular was born and lived a lot of her child in the Jim Crow South, right? Mm -hmm. She told stories of what it meant to live as a black person in the South. Where in the South was she? She was in Memphis. Okay. And she was poor, right? I mean, she's homeless at times. Um, and so for her to have a daughter one generation right. away, right, who's yeah. a professor at the University of Chicago— that for I think for her, that was a story of great accomplishment yeah. and love and community. It wasn't mm -hmm. just about my family. It was about community. And so that, I think, contradicts to some or at least gives us pause when thinking about the narration of black evolution, you know, the black experience as one of only right. degradation and oppression. Mm -hmm. and, and so I think we're, we're struggling with how do we understand the condition of black people? Yeah. I lost your question. No, no, no. <laughs> I was learning. <laughs> I was learning to process it. Yeah. yeah. I know we were talking about Afro-pessimism. Mm -hmm. And I, as I said, yeah, I'm yeah. the wrong person to, yeah, fully, yeah, 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 yeah. to fully articulate that. So let, let's get back into that story then. Mom mm -hmm. yes. from Memphis. Yes. And then... Came up to Ohio? Yeah. All right. Yeah, to and, Toledo. All right. And mm -hmm. so and so let's talk about home a little bit. When, mm. you, when you think of mm. of home, you know, what are some of the, as, as Kiss likes to ask, like the, the sensory mm. um, images, mm -hmm. sounds, smells, some of the, yeah. the, the relationships and communal yeah. presence that's like yeah. you feel shaped your lineage. Oh, oh so, so many, so many. So I come from what I guess would be considered a big family in Toledo, right? Meaning not my immediate family. I have a brother and sister who are older. My mom had, I think, let me make sure, six brothers and sisters. My dad had five brothers and sisters, right? Six okay. and seven. On one side, I have like 30 first cousins. <laughs> no, seriously. You laugh. I'm serious Ooh. about that. And on the other, like 15, right? And most, almost everyone lived at least on my mom's side, in Toledo, right? Mm. So, and it was very much structured around my grandmother, Medea. Mm. Ah. Believe it or not, that is, in fact, <laughs> what we did <laughs> And she was wild, too, right? Like, um, so in that sense, I feel like, wow, I grew up in a big family. Yeah. We saw each other all the time. My cousins, like, would, they lived on one part of town, and I lived on another, and they... Uh, they would ride over on their bikes, pick me up on my bike. We'd ride back to their side of town, which was much more fun, uh, <laughs> a little more dangerous. And then, you know, they'd ride me back. And uh, that was my existence. And the kind of sensory of that hmm. is, you know, I remember my mother making, what are they called? Like uh, hot water corn cakes mm -hmm. with her hands, mm -hmm. like really hot water in the cornmeal, forming the cornmeal, frying it. 
Uh, and then we would have greens with that or, you know, big holiday uh, dinners where everybody would be around kind of multiple tables. Mm-hmm. And um, Yeah, you need some long tables. You need multiple tables. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you need the kids' table, <laughs> the other kids' table. We're going into the living room, the kitchen, right. exactly. up the we, stairs. We you know. are. Yeah. And in fact, you know, there's always the television in the background, <laughs> for better or for worse. But um, – and we got time, so I'm going to take my. Yeah, so, yeah. so you know, my parents were, you know, in many ways, kind of race people. They were committed to their church, committed to the community, and my dad and mom, in ways that has become revealed, were political people. Right, my <laughs> father worked in a factory for a long time, and then got a job as a letter carrier. Right, mm-hmm. got that, got that mobility. Yeah. Um, and I, I tell the story. I, I remember him coming home one day, and he was like, "Yep, they're going to make me management." <laughs> and we're going to make more money. My brother and sister and I were like, yeah, yeah we're going to get more money. <laughs> yeah. I got some new shoes I want. Um, and he came back the next day and said, I turned down the job because he was very much a union person. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I can't like not be a part of the union. And yeah. so that was the kind of instruction we got. Were you rocking with that or were you like, you tripping? I was like, what? What? <laughs> Do you see these shoes? Exactly. Like, you, you know, in my head, I'm like, ready for management shoes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, what's a union? My shoes are my dudes <laughs> yeah, right now. Exactly. Like, who cares about some damn union? No, um, but, you know, over time, you could see his deep commitment and for my mother, you could see her deep commitment to family and church, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, you know, the church was a political space. I remember um, back in the, God, uh, 70s, I think, clearly. We were in church. I was little. And all of a sudden, the Black Panthers came in and did a formation in church because our minister was a progressive, Mm. probably black nationalist. But... um, and probably homophobic. But, um, <laughs> yeah, 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 now that I'm not probably that's, the, that's the, the trifecta, right? <laughs> well, not necessarily, but maybe in this case. Strong correlation. Um, yes. So, you know, so it was coming up at a time when uh, politics was just kind of present, right? Um, my sister dated a Black Panther. Hey, Stoney. Um, <laughs> shout out. Shout out to That Stoney. might be our first. Panther boyfriend shout out. There you go. I think that's I bet the first one on the show. I bet it is. Yeah. Um, and you know, so my sister's older. They, they, my brother and sister were older than me. My sister, you know, I, I do remember these kind of political moments. My sister also dated someone who was stationed in Vietnam, right? Mm. And he would write to her and then say, "Hey, say hi to Kathy," you know, because mm. I was the little one. <laughs> but you know, so it was the Panthers. It was the civil rights movement. It was Vietnam mm. that. You know, I would later be able to have as part of my analysis, right. but it was part of my upbringing, right. right? And it was in the background in a way that I wasn't probably that aware of. And then if you add in kind of unions um, and community and church, right, you know, the kind of indigenous institutions of blackness mm. was all about my growing up. I'll say one other thing that was critical to me. A long time ago, you you all won't remember this. <laughs> there used to be these things called records. <laughs> I've heard. I've heard. You've heard of that. The myth of records, right? And so my sister um, worked at a record store, which it was crazy back then. Like people would come in and ask for a forty-five, and she would find it. it would be in a sleeve. She'd pull it out and play it for them, to make sure it wasn't warped. Yeah. And then they'd buy it for whatever. I was little. But she would take me with her. And so I feel like I also grew up, right, with the sounds of mm. 
music that was much earlier than I would attach to, hmm. but this idea also of community and music, right? Yeah. Community and culture that I feel like has a, not, it's not gone away, but it's evolved in a different sort of way. Yeah, and yeah. the record store is a beautiful space for that too. Oh my because God. Because even in a performance, everyone's kind of like looking the same way, but yes. that it's like, we're just here to listen, you know? Yeah. And that, that seems like a, like a fertile ground Oh, you know? it, it, to me, you know, I've mentioned all those things. That is probably my most vivid memory. <laughs> like people coming in and saying, hey, you know, I heard this song and it has like da 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 da. Right? Like, and yeah. we would all be trying to like figure out what yeah, was the your song. Sister Shazam. Yeah, exactly. And you'd be putting song, you know, records on. Is yeah. that the one? Is that the one? And it was just a way of mm. relating mm. to music that you don't really see anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So you said there was a um, connection between community and like cultural space like that. Yeah. And you were almost about to say it doesn't exist anymore, but then you said it's evolved in a different way, I think. When you say that, what does that look like to you? Well, it's kind of what Daniel was saying. I mean, the spaces of, well, I could be wrong. First, first of, all. of all, I'm old, <laughs> right? So older. So I don't, I'm not in a place where young people in particular are coming together around trying to. Uh, think about what's innovative and what's mm -hmm. interesting and what's different. Mm -hmm. I, I see a lot of, for example, I have a 13-year-old, and um, she and her friends talk about music, but it's kind of like it's digital, mm -hmm. right? Everything right. is, you know. So um, it's it just feels different. It feels like there's, uh, you know, if you don't know the song, mm -hmm. you put it in Google. You put, like, the yeah. three lyrics that you know, yeah. and they, it pops up, right? It's right. not an interactive process where you're talking to your your friend and saying, you know, I heard this song. Yeah. And what is it? Um, and then there's a back and forth about it. Um, so in that sense, it's a different type of interaction around mm -hmm. music. I don't want to say it's gone mm -hmm. whatsoever. I just think it's different. And do you think it parallel? and this is a leading question, do okay. you think that that uh, change in that kind of interaction mm. mirrors the you know, digitizing and changes in some of the other kinds of interactions that you were talking about around both politic and community? Wow. I, I mean, I think, well, what do you think? I was, you told uh, me, I you mean, told it was me a leading I could question. Yeah, no, wait, I mean, I think absolutely. I think the, How so? the idea of someone who is your share, like your peer sharing something with you, mm -hmm. the desire for curation mm. from someone who is like a, an expert something that I see mm. on the music end, like rather than your friend showing you a song, mm -hmm. there's some either person within an industry or just an algorithm that mm. is your curator. Mm -hmm. uh, similarly, and I think that that informs social life in a digital way, whether that's Facebook, Twitter, all these algorithms right. that nobody understands, that they might not even, that they, not only do they not understand the impact, they might not even understand what's happening. Like it's just layer on top of layer of code and it's, right. you know, they're, they're so deep in it that they can't like piece it apart anymore because heard someone describe for code that like you never actually erase something you just write new code on top of it mm. right so that means every time that they've changed this algorithm every time it's just like this that was mess. me i heard someone <laughs> once tell me <laughs> some a very wise man That's once told right. me i got that from benjamin earl turner okay a dope rapper yeah. uh -huh. he is a and you can get his new project now it's actually <laughs> excellent but uh <laughs> but i think that there's a like a I think about it with food a lot, this idea of food tastes better when it's cooked by someone who loves you, mm. right? Like someone who cares how you're going to enjoy it. Uh, and I think 
we're kind of all having experiences that are simulating experiences that happen with someone who loves us, but they're mm. being sold to us by someone who doesn't care about us at all. Yeah. Mm. So that I think is a real parallel between the music, mm. the digital, the way like we talk about community. Like mm -hmm. the best example that I always think of is there used to be like public squares, <laughs> mm -hmm. like places where people would come and now we simulate that with a mall or a shopping center. Like mm. it's in the space of capital, mm -hmm. but it's built the way, like they'll put a fountain in the middle and people right. will sit around and eat right. and that, but it's all a simulation of that to get people to buy more Old Navy. And we're even lo losing yeah. that. Like now, right. the mall's <laughs> not even going to be there. Yeah, right. yeah. You just, you just have, go on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there's a real abstraction that we're mm -hmm. living out in reality mm -hmm. with this notion of digital community that we go through. So mm -hmm. I, I've, in this like current wave of like accountability work right. we're trying to do, you know, especially around gender violence, trying to to map out or or mm. build processes or even frameworks of accountability. Mm -hmm. And something that came up is like, you can't be accountable to Twitter. You know? Right. Like, right. <laughs> like in the way of, of, in terms of like repair and restoration, right? Like you can have a public facing position, right? right? But in terms of like harm. You can manage your PR. Yeah. But, right. but, but you can't be accountable to a thousand retweets, you know? And, and yeah. so it's, it's really hard to then, this but we feel that same way though. Right. I mean, this is interesting because I feel like there's a generational flip here, right? Which is, I would, I would expect, and that would be silly, but um, you all to be more uh, embracing maybe of the digital. Well, we're, and, we're, we're welcome to a team of skeptics. I yeah, know, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, well, that's good. That's good. <laughs> but I mean, I, I guess I want to be careful to say that there are ways, I think, one, to have engagement, two, to participate, and three, mm. to maybe build some level of community online, on mm, the digital. Definitely. Yeah. It's it's. It's, it seems to me not an either or. Right. And I don't also want to romanticize what it was like before, yeah, 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 right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. so when you said food is always better when it's cooked by someone that you love, I don't necessarily think <laughs> like, There are some really some restaurants. great restaurants <laughs> where I don't know who the hell the cook oh, is. Oh, that's hilarious. And I'm all in. I mean, it's also better when you have quality food, you know, yeah, quality yeah, yeah. materials. Yeah, yeah, it's no, also better when you have time and you're not pressured to go to work because yeah. this is your work. I mean, right. so I, I, yeah, I just want to, I want to be getting real disenchanted here. Because <laughs> like five years ago you're right like yeah. we would we i you know i think our our general sphere would be like these big champions of this new digital world yeah. that we're living in and yeah. the new possibilities yeah. and, and all the you know different formations that are coming mm -hmm. out that were made possible by the you know this digital interaction but i think right. now that we are starting to live with some of the results of it absolutely and it's starting to it's really like, is this the world we really want? affect yeah. our psychology mm -hmm. I, I think it's, yeah. it's 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 becoming like a weird relationship. Right. But I think, you know, sometimes our response to being uncomfortable and unsure is rejection. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, the digital is bad. And that's not yeah, no, it just saying. is what it is. It is, yeah. right. You know, like, and we're and in the stone age of figuring it out, basically. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. And it is how do we continue to be committed to something like the building of community? And I would say maybe even more importantly, the building of curiosity. Mm -hmm. But uh a communal curiosity, right? Not I can just go on Google and try to figure it out. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how do you how do you figure things out amongst other people? Hmm. Which the digital, the you know, the digital, the digital, <laughs> <laughs> well, digital spaces might shut down to some. Degree. Yeah, we're kind of like 
again, abstractly talking about the digital space, but mm. I, I think, you know, how this these new tools and this new infrastructure has allowed for community building is yeah. really deeply tied into, you know, your yeah. story, yeah. your position. And so I'm really excited to have you here because, you know, in, in the world that developed my political activity, mm. right, like you were mythologized. In wow. some real ways. <laughs> and so I, I really am curious to hear That's your perspective great. and take on the narrative because, you know, it's interesting to, to like now have be starting to form a relationship and like, you know, you're just kind of cool as hell. And you're not, you know, <laughs> That's better than yeah, being yeah, mythologized. Yeah, but, yes. So, you know, the, the story especially. I'd rather be cool than a myth. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's great. You know, I, the, the, or a better, you know, cool myth would be like, yeah. damn. Ooh, okay. Ooh, uh-huh. cool yeah, myth. here we go. Here we need go. To cool, cool, let's cool out your exactly. myth a little bit. Right let's here. do it. Let's do it. Uh-huh. So, you know, Folks who are deeply engaged with the show, you know, are aware of BYP 100, which has been so significant in this current iteration of Black Liberation Movement. Um, And so, you know, folks know that that derived from Black Youth Project, Mm -hmm. which is a, you know, a digital project in its origin um, that started in the academy. And then, you know, there was this, this, this. how I understand it, there was this desire to activate mm-hmm. the people mm-hmm. who are, you know, the embodiment of what the space mm-hmm. that was created. And from that came this organization right. that also sprung out other organizations and a lot of activity. Um, and, and I view as a really historical significant marker. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you kind of get credited as kind of, you know, like a, uh, a, a, a RZA of <laughs> I call I call Barbara the RZA like here say, locally, yeah. but you know you, you are a, definitely an OG like you know big homie that that set okay. the space yes for for what's happening now. So I, I would love for you to like tell the story from your eyes and how it conflicts against some of the like flat narratives. Yeah, you know, and I'm 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 happy to do that. I, I say this with uh, humility. Um, because I know that my narration, even though I think it was the right one, is just one narration, <laughs> right, right? right? Like right. there were other people involved at different moments mm-hmm. who probably have a different perspective because they were just positioned differently, yeah. right? It starts with community in my family, right? Mm-hmm. Which is for me where everything starts, right? There's a narrative I feel like in black communities about linear progress and mobility. Mm-hmm. My Dad graduated from high school. My mother did not. But they both were deeply, deeply, deeply committed to their children having the best education possible Mm -hmm. and as many uh, educational opportunities as possible. And they were kind of working class black people, but that was their commitment, right? Um, And some of, you know, I I have done well. I was the baby in the family, and I got most of the resources uh, (laughs) after they— you know, work hard. A few tests. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. My brother and sister would be like, mm, <laughs> they figured it yeah, out. You a got, bit more. Yeah, you got it easy. You know, you always hear that from the uh-huh. older siblings. But, um, but one of the things, you know, we all have noticed and I've paid attention to it and have written about that for my nieces and nephews, it has been up and down, up and down, up and down, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of trajectory, it wasn't like, oh, well, you got a PhD. Now I'm going to get a JD and a PhD. Right, like right. it's they they emerged in a world. I would argue that um, where there was demobilization, where there's deindustrialization, where there's neoliberalism, globalization, and where there was mass incarceration. Mm-hmm. Right, and so um, the possibility uh, of doing better was clearly articulated, but not always really available. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> And what I 
I had noticed is that when I would talk to my people, right, younger people, they were clear about both the obstacles that existed, the structural obstacles, but also some of what I think they would argue were bad decisions that they made, this idea of what I would call kind of limited agency that often black people have or people have in general. And what I found in the literature in talking about young people was just a kind of deficit model of what they had done wrong. Mm -hmm. And usually it was a descriptive uh, analysis that didn't center the voices of young people. And Mm -hmm. so I just, in the most basic way, wanted to do an academic research project that would center young black people, right? Mm -hmm. And what would that mean? It would mean that we would do a big survey, because I like surveys, (laughs) Um, but it would really— ask different types of questions. It would ask, uh, there's a whole, for example, in this survey, it was in from 2005, whole battery of questions on like how young people related to rap music, mm-hmm. both in terms of like how they thought they, the messages were, were they, you know, the politics, things like that. There were questions about kind of dealing with the police and questions of incarceration, uh, as well as political participation in more traditional forms. And there was a big group of us that worked on that, meaning there were graduate students and undergraduates. We met for like a year just designing the survey Hmm. because we wanted it to be meaningful. And then it went into the field. We got this data. We were writing this data. And I will give full credit to the young people in the room who were like, you know what? This is amazing. And you're going to write a great book. But (laughs) that can't be what we're doing here, right? Mm -hmm. Like we got to rethink our relationship to data and evidence, and more importantly, to young folks. Mm -hmm. And the question was, okay, so how do we get it into their world, right? Like me going to different neighborhoods and doing book talks ain't going to do it. Mm -hmm. And they were like, let's build a website, right? This is back in 2005. So it was like, let's build a website, okay. Um, And the first website was static and boring. And then we raised money and we could hire someone and it evolved. And increasingly, we were clear that we wanted this to be a site, um, where I talk about it all the time, where young people, young black people speak for themselves without censorship, right? Like there have been things written on the Black Youth Project website that I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> you, that's really what you want to say? Um, but I've always said really in my office or in my house and not said take that down or anything yeah. like that. But it was also clear because I, you know, I've been active, politically active in my life, was that there was more than articulation and words, right? Voice, we talk about it as. But how do we promote action? And the idea was, okay, well, let's do a convening. Let's host a convening of 100 young black activists from across the country where I had talked to lots of people. And Barbara Ransby, my best friend in the whole world, had talked to lots of people. And um, we knew that there were people doing amazing work. They might not know each other. And so uh, I worked with a group of people, including Bakari Kitwana and um, others who we kind of crafted and curated this list mm-hmm. of we talked to people, people could nominate other people. And we had like 100 young black people come right outside of Chicago. It was 2013. Mm-hmm. And it was a great space. The idea was like, yo, people will get to know each other. If they want to build something, let's let them build something. But it was just a container to get yeah, people in it was, a room it was together. a convening, right? Yeah. It, was a con- it was convening with the hopes that, in fact, it would generate 
both something new, but also connect what was already happening. Because it mm-hmm. didn't want to negate the fact that people were doing great work, right. right? It was also intentional to include folks who were doing work around incarceration, but also folks who were doing work around LGBT issues, right? Like to reimagine also what constitutes a kind of radical black politics at this moment. Right. The rest of the story is, of course, that that is becomes the weekend where George Zimmerman is said to be uh, not guilty, right? <sighs> And we all gathered together in a room, held hands, and watched the verdict. And people were devastated. And I say this all the time, which is it was painful for me to see (laughs) yet another generation kind of Mm -hmm. come to grips with the fact Mm -hmm. that, go back to black pessimism, right? Mm -hmm. Right. That black humanity is not respected, right? And so to see young people in tears, right, far from the possibility of, of what might be, became the reality of what is in this country, right? right? And there was some grieving and mourning, I would say. And then people, because they were activists, said, what the hell are we going to do? Some people went downtown and protested. Others said, okay, let's start to think about writing a statement. Other people said, well, maybe we should build something. And you could see these kind of groups of movement happening, Mm And all we did was facilitate, right? Like facilitate, facilitate. What can we do? How can we help? They eventually came together. They wrote a statement. They videotaped the statement. It went kind of, I hate the language of viral because that's not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like, true. We infected as many people as possible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like it, we shared it. They mm-hmm. shared it. It went exponential. That's right. The exponent, that's right. And Very nice. That is I like nice. that a lot. <laughs> But the other piece of this is then we we had invited some funders in case they wanted to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able to kind of provide space and help generate some funding for BYP 100. And uh, had Charlene uh, Crothers in particular come on board, but there were uh, in, in a paid position. But there were others like Jason Perez who mm-hmm. were also there. Fresco um, was there. They built something, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So. What I think I have tried to do, and I think others have also, is to recognize, first of all, the power, strength, brilliance of young activists, to hopefully provide spaces where they can do their work, meet each other, innovate, and 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 move. And then throughout this process, always try to build, try to leverage the resources that we have mm-hmm. to create spaces where they can build something an infrastructure that is bigger than any person, mm-hmm. right? Because I think right. that's the key here. And that's one of the most important things to me about BYP 100. It has been motivated by brilliant young people, but it is a an organization that is meant to radicalize and move black communities, and in particular young black people. Mm-hmm. And that is bigger than any one person, right? And so that's, I mean, that's my, that's my version of yeah. the story. Mm-hmm. Who knows? And I think, you know, I think the the last thing I'll say is, the other thing that has happened is because like Damon or Charlene or uh, Janae, I mean, you can, we can go through the list. I, th- I think these are people who want to be in communication and we're going to learn from each other. So I can, I can have a coffee or maybe a drink um, <laughs> with folks or lunch or, you know, and we can continue to kind of influence each other. Mm-hmm. I can yeah. say, wow, why— Why'd y'all do this? I didn't understand that. Or have you thought about this? Or this is what I hear. Or, you know, here's another funder. So I feel like there's a continuing relationship that's built. Um, 
and and they influence and inform me as much as I hope I support and help them. Mm. So, were there any spaces for you when you were? Mm. Younger that fell similar to that. <laughs> you said when you were younger, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, I do know what you mean by yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I came out, I came up and out as a young black lesbian. Um, first in school, I was at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. Not a pleasant place for black people, <laughs> trust me. Um, but uh, really, eventually, I would have an amazing group of of friends and comrades in graduate school. And we did political work. That is where I met Barbara Ransby. You're part That's of that Michigan Michigan, gang? part of that Michigan gang, yeah, yeah. that crew. For those, for those who don't know the Michigan gang, what was the Michigan crew? <laughs> oh, my God. It's uh, Barbara Ransby. It's Tracy Matthews. It's Kim Smith. It's Regina Freer. It's a, uh, it's Premila Nadison. It's, it, it's a group of primarily black women uh, who did work on that campus to help kind of move issues around kind of race and racism and to help create, again, institutions like the Ella Baker Center. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of the way we did that was to shut shit down, as they say, right. you know, to take over buildings, to argue with the black nationalists on campus mm-hmm. as well as the white left. Um, Is this the 90s or the 80s? This, oh, okay. Man, you you really gonna do that? It's, I'm sorry, no, no, I it's the no, no. I'm joking. Yeah, it's the '80s. Okay. Um, it's the it's the we '80s. Left it broad. I know, I know. Sorry. <laughs> That's why I started with '90s first. Because I, <laughs> I didn't. Say, I could have said, "Is this the '70s?" I know, the 80s, and so I would have been like, "Okay, you Damon, what's wrong with you?" <laughs> no, no, no. It's the it's the late '80s. Okay. Um, and I get there after they have already done kind of anti-apartheid work, mm-hmm. right? So again, there are these spaces where, in fact. We're both building community, building analysis, and building organizations that can do work. And I will say from that space, right, we have all been friends for, (laughs) my God, now like 30 years and doing different types of political work together in formation, so in terms of a political community. But the the other – so that was one space. And then – my dissertation and first book was on HIV and AIDS in New York. So I lived in New York. Hmm. I was part of a group there who opened something called the Audre Lorde Project in New York. We also planned some stuff like uh, Black Nations, Queer Nations. It was a conference. I was on the board of Kitchen Table Women of Color Press. Um, we built an organization called Black AIDS Mobilizing. So, I, you know, I, there have always been these spaces of political activism that paralleled the kind of writing and teaching and researching that I was doing. Hmm. Um, and I have been, I am deeply grateful to folks who were always, one, open to including me and including others, but also to the struggles that we had about kind of what's a radical black vision of liberation um, in different formations. In New York, it was really about kind of in the midst of kind of HIV and AIDS, which was the work I was doing, how do we save black people, black gay men, some black lesbians, straight black folks, and also have a vision of something better for black people beyond hmm. just survival, yeah. right? Mm. And that was part of the work that we were kind of thinking about. So in, in all those spaces, I felt like I'm always learning, always being nurtured, always mm. being loved. And with with in the various variety, like your people in each of those. Always. You know, never siloed in it. Sounds, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think I can point to, and I'd love to hear what you all think, point to kind of significant political 
learning and loving, we might say, siloed, right? With, with yeah. By myself, I mean, or mm-hmm. with one other. It has always been about communities of black feminists, black queer folks, uh, black straight people, you know, working class <laughs> black straight people who yeah. were like, yo, if, if you're in this with me and we're trying yeah, to get something yeah. better, let's go. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean that there we didn't encounter homophobia of course, we didn't deal with, you know, people who had different political ideologies about what black liberation would look like, of course. But, you know, I think people are trying to figure out how do you, not again, not just save black people, but how do they become liberated? How do they become free? Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, the, I, so I definitely want to stay right there. I just, I just want to say part of why I asked the question is because personally, and I think on the show a little bit, part of like the research we've been doing is like in our collective imagination there's like this gap of liberation work of like the 80s 90s early 2000s and i've been trying to like fill in Mm -hmm. because as i've matured it's like obviously it didn't go away Mm -hmm. right and like now that i'm present or active like i I see that there is lineage that continue Mm -hmm. uh and so learning that you know about the apartheid struggle which was more outward facing Mm -hmm. um and and then hiv is something that that i think has become a significant part of that yeah that seemed like the two and then also the the academy right because a lot Mm -hmm. of the 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 tangible victories of, you know, black power and the, the 60s and 70s moments was, was around campus struggles, was around, mm-hmm. you know, ethnicity and, and, and being able to use the, the academy to learn about people's lived experience. Uh, and so reshaping or building that space is kind of what I'm coming away with. And I think your, your story uh, definitely adds to that understanding. But to where you're at right now, you, you mm-hmm. use the word vision a lot, right? Mm. Do uh, I really? Uh-huh. Just now, just okay, now okay. in this moment. Uh-huh. Um, and, and, and speaking a lot around queerness and femininity. Mm. And so something that gets attributed to Did you. Did I say femininity? I Feminist. I said feminist. Uh, right, not right, the right, same. Right, right, right. No, I'm sorry. That's important. That's important. It was because I was trying to tease into what I was about I to ask. I so you. I appreciate the correction. <laughs> I've attributed a, a specific language to you. And other folks have. And one, I want to make sure I'm correct. And two, even if not, I want you to like expound on it. The, the notion of the black queer feminist lens. Mm-hmm. Is that you? Putting that L on it? That, <laughs> that yeah, lens? The ideas, but the, the framing and that, yeah. of those words together. I, I, okay. So I think uh, if we think about lineage, right? right? Um, back in the 90s this time, see, see. I, wrote, uh, <laughs> I wrote a piece called... Um, the radical potential of oh no 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 that's not what it's called. Uh, <laughs> what is I'm blanking on my, my article. It's called no no. It's called punks, bulldaggers, and welfare queens. Right? right. The radical potential of queer politics. So the idea there was damn. You can name the hell out of things. That is a title. <laughs> the other titles you get are yeah. the ki- kitchen table. I'm like uh, oh these titles are tremendous. Yeah yeah. Sorry to cut you off, but no it, no no. Yeah, it's amazing. Hey that's half the game yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, naming. Naming is powerful. Naming is powerful. But the idea was, how do we think about a political formation or a political framework that would bring together lots of people who are marginalized and who don't have um, power relative to dominant or state power? <laughs> and the idea was that maybe that is the radical potential of something that we were calling or people were calling queer politics. Mm-hmm. And part of the article is to say that actually how we're how we're utilizing queer now doesn't take us very far. It was still really a binary between kind of heterosexuals and what people were calling queer, but really what they meant were kind of 
gay and lesbian, mm-hmm. trans, bisexual folks. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to say that if you look at, for example, black women on welfare, they don't have the same power as straight white men. And so I, I don't want to kind of hold on to this category of straightness mm-hmm. without complicating it. Right. right? right. And I don't want to hold on to this category of gay people having less power because I saw white men with insurance who had much better health care mm-hmm. in terms of the HIV and AIDS crisis mm-hmm. than often black gay men who didn't have the same type of access to health care. Right. So if we could complicate the identity categories and instead look at power, mm-hmm then it it tells us something about who should be in political solidarity with us. Right. And that, to me, was also based on a black feminism that mm-hmm. would say, you know, part of how we have to think about this is the positioning of black women and their relationship to power, right? Patriarchal power, but also other forms of power. At some point, I think I may have written, but I think other people did. This is what I mean about kind of multiple perspectives, right? right, right, right? right. Mm-hmm. That what I was seeing from the kind of this new generation of organizers was the use of what might be considered a kind of black queer feminist lens, mm-hmm. right? I mean, but I think Charlene and others, trust me, have also named it and talked about mm-hmm. it. So I'm not saying I named it. I'm saying for me— Well, I think Charlene would would explicitly name herself in your lineage, Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yes, yes. Well, I mean, I, I can't tell her what to do, but uh, yeah. No, but she I think, does. Yeah, I've, I've, but, I've but heard I think, many times. Okay, yeah, yeah. So there are other people who would, I think, also. So I, I think more important than saying, oh, Kathy, you did this. You don't want it's, the credit. Right, well, I want to say, that, like, what does it mean? Right. And is it useful? And mm. I think it's useful I worry, though, this is what yeah. I've written another yeah. piece yeah. recently that said, I worry a little bit about this idea of queer. Right. Because when I originally wrote Punks, Bulldaggers, and Welfare Queens, I'm just saying that again for you, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to throw the air horn <laughs> yeah, right there. There you go. Black people weren't really resonating with the idea of queer. Folks weren't calling themselves queer back in mm. the you know mid-90s. So to me it left open a space where we really could kind of take that framework Mm. and kind of mold it. Today, many young folks of color, young black people identify as queer. Mm -hmm. I'm queer. Mm -hmm. And that is often kind of aligned with a kind of sexual identity and performance. Mm -hmm. And, And to some degree of politics, right? But not always. And so I think it's, there's less space for queer to be kind of this broad framework Right, that right. could it encompass an exactly. Yeah. It becomes an identity and aesthetic, and it kind of closes down the possibility of a radical politics or radical grouping of, of right. political people. Because, and you know, I've heard like the idea of queering a a binary, an institution, and that you know, it's about creating that space, right? Like that right. is what it does. Is it says that this doesn't necessarily have to look like this or be this or be framed this way. And so, if then you are defining what that means, then you're just, you know, maybe it's not a binary anymore, but it's like a a, a, a triptych. <laughs> right, right. You know, where you have this other, you know, aesthetic or category or identity that you right. step into that the boundaries are already defined for you right. when you step in. So would either one of you define yourself as queer? No. I, I, <laughs> I wouldn't. Like, mm-hmm. I, I've thought a lot about it. it it's Why not, though? It, 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 it's, it's something. So I'll let the, you answer for it. Yeah. I definitely say I uphold the I, I I try to use the letters BQFL. Oh something, you wow! Know? <laughs> okay. Um, and and there was a a part of me, you know, one time I was first giving my partner, I was like, you know, we should all 
right. identify as queer, like mm-hmm. based on my understanding of the concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the reason why I would not, um, and, and I learned some of this from my sister, is because I, I operate with a certain privilege and right. power that mm-hmm. I think those who have attached it to their identity, rightfully so, um, I think it would dismiss or take up some of that space, mm. right? So, so me operating in a in a way that I am privileged by certain norms and can function within certain norms, and you know, my you know, I I, I would be I, more explicit about that. I can function in certain norms and so you know I can just like masculinity, yeah, just right. like patriarchy, yeah, yeah. yeah my, my benefits from mm-hmm. cishet privilege mm-hmm. and 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 patriarchal privilege, mm-hmm. and that that aligns also with mm-hmm. my performance and, and my internal personality. Mm-hmm. Um, me just being able to like click a switch and try to expand or break that down mm-hmm. uh, is is one thing, mm-hmm. but then the identifying as uh, I, I feel it would it would take up space in a way that's inappropriate for our current reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to build off that, the I, th- I think for me part of it is around uh, expanding the definitions or the spaces within the categories that I identify in and are coded in, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, how can I shift the definitions of what does it mean to be uh, – you know, I think that's specifically in regard to masculinity and, and, and gender, but like within my masculine identifying self, having working in the little ways that I do to create more space for what that can mean for mm-hmm. me and for other people. Mm-hmm. And that seems like a, in some ways, a, a queering of, of like, yeah. it doesn't have to. So it's not that it's not the same practice, but it is the, um, some of it is the taking up space thing that you said. And some of it is a like, I don't want to be trading in the commodifying of that term. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think the, the like liberal arts school thing of like queer is a haircut <laughs> yeah. is a, and it's <laughs> and often used as like a way of absolving yourself of privilege. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you go, well, I'm, I'm queer, so I can't be critiqued in this way mm-hmm. uh, is something that, you know, both in our experience, my experience in school, and then we've done a bunch of touring and, my my brother also goes to Oberlin, so I've seen mm-hmm. this play out a lot of, you know, this this defensiveness and deflection. Um, I I would rather I'm I, I would rather choose to redefine myself uh in a way that accounts for mm-hmm. the systems that I know I'm complicit in mm-hmm. and and work from within that rather than discarding it because that feels more convenient to me. Right. Yeah. So like, to, oh, I think a way It's to, a great question. It's yeah. an important question. Yeah, I think no a way one's f- ever asked me that. A way for me to <laughs> finalize it is, is I, sh- I strive to be queer in my practice, mm, but right. it does not mm-hmm. yet feel appropriate in my identity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and see, I think for me, <laughs> the writing early on and the reflection now is about the verb of queering right. and a politics of queer, mm-hmm. right? right? Not an identity of queer. That's why I think the lens part is so important, That's which right. usually get, it, it gets, it, we just black queer feminism. That's right. Or black queer feminists. That's right. right? And As the lens part. speaks to analysis, yeah. right? Right. And it also speaks to kind of who am I looking at that is similarly positioned with regards to power? So to me, a black queer feminist lens is about centering an analysis of power and thinking about kind of political solidarity and how, in fact, we kind of uh, structure and um, imagine our movements, right? Mm-hmm. It's not about I am queer, 
Mm-hmm. And that's and that's that's I guess fine. Uh, it worries me a bit because I feel like it becomes hard for people to make the distinction between the verb of queering, the practice of being, uh, kind of looking at the world through a kind of queer feminist lens, and the kind of uh, kind of performance and sexual identity of queer, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that that is that's my concern. Yeah. It's like it gets confusing, and so maybe it's not. At its moment when, in fact, people can say the word and embrace the word, maybe it's not that feasible or helpful in terms of the other kind of political projects that we really want to pursue. And and, and another thing that that I've experienced and try try to be careful of of naming Mm. is I feel like in that framework, the blackness can sometimes get taken for granted. Mm. Right. Mm. What do you mean? Because for me, the struggle has been within mostly all black spaces, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. we kind of just assume that as a, a given and it becomes weird. We are talking about queer feminism yeah. um, separate and like not se- separate in some ways from this is tied to black liberation, right? Right. And right. so in order to reach the liberated reality that we all envision and imagine, right, we have to in- engage queerness and feminism, mm-hmm. right, as a, mm-hmm. as a tool, but queer feminism in isolation disconnected from the black liberation struggle mm-hmm. which is which is not disconnected that's that's too much of it but not framed in hand, yeah, in, of, hand in hand of, yeah. of the b came first right you know? right 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 well <laughs> and the, and that, well and the bf right. right to me it's about also losing sight of the significance of black feminism <laughs> right and making the kind of position of black women a political position, right? Right. right? Of understanding the kind of multiple forms of power that uh, structure their, I guess we could say, positionality or standpoint, right? How mm-hmm. they experience the world and how they think about uh, liberation, the ways in which kind of uh, being a black woman allows you to seek and have an analysis about multiple forms, both what we might consider to be kind of public systems of oppression, but also the intimate and domestic, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And not suggesting that one or or that the intimate sphere is somehow less important, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, what I worry about sometimes is we lose sight of the black feminist Mm -hmm. history that Mm -hmm. has informed what I might call a black queer feminist lens, right? right? So So you mentioned in you know different points in the in the story yes. arguing with this group and this group the mm. the black nationalists other, other yeah. so beyond the <laughs> beyond well, the specifics of those conflicts yes, i'm not just looking you. for uh-huh. stories uh but what are some not just best practices but tools you've mm. learned or ways that you think about communicating working with working around working through groups and people who don't operate from that lens Wow. I mean, that's a – I'm trying to think of the times when I've learned the most – it's probably been in moments of conflict. So, uh, <laughs> you, you know, again, Barbara brought me on to the Black Radical Congress, um, mm. which was a formation of different uh, activists from political ideologies thinking about liberation, black nationalists, right, black feminists. Black uh, Marxists. Mm. Um, and so not everybody was on the same page, to say the least. <sighs> best practices. I mean, I don't, yeah, I probably don't operate that way and think about black, best practices, but I'm going <laughs> to. So, no, 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 or no. However, you know, no, no, well, you know, I'm, I'm you know, saying, I think, you know, is there some space 
to believe, in fact, that everybody really wants black people to be free, mm-hmm. right? And we have very different approaches to, one, who we understand black people to be, mm. <laughs> um, uh, who who are most marginalized and thus have to be at the center of the work that we do and also has to be at the center of leadership of those mm-hmm. struggles, right? So, I'm, one, I want to, you know, I'm older now, so I can give people the benefit of the doubt <laughs> um, to say, yeah, we don't agree, I want to say that you're trying to struggle for the right things. The The other thing I guess I would say is to make sure that the work you're doing really is in community. Like, who are the people who uh, will both applaud you when you do well, but will call you a bit and comfort you and and correct you and hold you accountable when you're going astray? And we all do, right? Like, you can't be out in the world doing, I would argue, anything expecting that you're always going to get it right. And so it's probably more important to figure out what's the structure of, of folks around you who will tell you when you're doing yeah. wrong so you can, you know, it's like our 13-year-old, uh, my partner, Beth Ritchie, and I. You know, super shout out. Super yeah, shout out to the brilliant <laughs> Beth Rich, who's all, you know. Who we hope who, to, to, to get, You get should. You better point. need yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, I mean, because she has a, you know, she also has been doing political work for, I don't want to say forever, like, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, and has her own stories. But I would argue our, maybe the most important work we do as parents, of course, is to kind of celebrate the things your child does well and to facilitate that. But it is like, what is the kind of loving environment where you can help kids deal with um, their mistakes, their failures, yeah. their disappointments, right? Like, and I think that's part of almost like politics, right? Yeah. It's almost about like resistance is how do you how do you imagine and get to being unfree? Well, I think that is informed by how you practice, like love and support and politics in the moment of being unfree. Did I say unfree? How do you get to be free? Like, how do you how do you do those things when you are oppressed and unfree, right? Like, right. it is the practice in this moment that I think informs what the practice looks like, hopefully, right. at a different, you know, when, when things are better. It's interesting. We just had Jamie Calvin from Invisible Institute mm. on, and he was talking about in uh, Yugoslavia, during the when it was still a Soviet satellite state, this group, including Václav Havel, being like, we don't have these rights, but what if we just act like we do? Exactly. What if we just do the things yeah. that they're saying we're not allowed to do, but we just do them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Starting from the assumption of freedom. Exactly. How do we and then yeah. you see where the, the gaps are, but then you work to close those mm-hmm. gaps. Like, mm-hmm. But th- that, that's an interesting starting point. So I'm wondering whether you now, through the relationships you have, mm. either with students or other young organizers, do you think there's more or less room uh, for that kind of safe but not comfortable growth of getting things wrong than there was when you started out? Hmm. I think there's probably possibly less because I think when I started out, there wasn't the Internet, right, right. where mistakes are and I guess now we can say made viral, right? Because it is a bad <laughs> that thing, is viral. right? Yeah, right? Yeah. Um, where people can put you on blast, where people can write nasty comments. I mean, you you know, truthfully, in in a different age, folks came at you like face to face and were like, "You you you did this." 
Um, maybe you read about it in a newspaper, I mean, a news column somewhere. Or maybe just old-fashioned talking behind your back. Yeah, exactly. Oh, those exactly. Days? Like, Where has the gossip gone? I know, I know. And then people were like, did you hear what blank blank said? So, I, you know, uh, Patrice Cullors was on campus, and she and I were in conversation, on, you know, public conversation. And I asked, um, you know, reflect on all the things that have gone well with um, Black Lives Matter, but a global network, but also what did you do wrong? And mm-hmm. she was saying how difficult it was to make mistakes because people just came at you so yeah. quickly, right? Viciously. And, yeah, viciously, right? And I think um, there is a way in this culture of celebrity mm-hmm. where we've learned what celebrity is also about kind of attacking and taking people down. And I don't think that's necessarily outside of movement work, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, in fact, movement leaders are confused, I think, sometimes, they confuse it and we confuse it that part of that is about being a celebrity, yeah, right? Right. Even and if it's in this one little even world. It, well, but that one little world expands, it's, right? right? Yeah. Like there are, you know, you're on magazines mm-hmm. and right. you're getting awards yeah. and then people are like, wait a minute, I thought politics and movement work was this right. and not that. And so you become a target. Um, and you and I think sometimes these folks make mistakes also. Right. And I, again, I go back to how do we hold people accountable in a way that says, you made a mistake, I still love you, I still respect you, I still want to support the work that you do, mm-hmm. right? Like, can we do that? Can we can we hold both of those at the same time? That remember, we love these people. Mm-hmm. And yes, wow, that is something, I don't know how you made that decision, but I respected all the other decisions that you made, so let's let's help you course correct back to mm-hmm. what I think is the right way to be. And if you keep making the same mistake, then I got keep a choosing the magazine cover of <laughs> yeah. it, then we can, that's a different conversation. That's right, that's right. But starting from the mistake rather than the bad. Yeah. Well, and interesting, because we're, we're, we're saying the magazine cover is a mistake, <laughs> right? Like, uh, and uh, clearly you know, we think it is. But, not, but I'm, I'm not sure it is. Yeah. I mean, it's the m- magazine cover under what circumstances? Right, right. Because in fact, the magazine cover, if you're an organizer, puts you out there to people who who aren't going to be touched by you directly. And so it can be good work, right? I mean, part of what I might ask is, if you're going to do something like that, Mm -hmm. that some of us might not understand, help us understand it, right? right? Like, engage with people. Mm -hmm. This is why I made that decision. It might not have been transparency and in discourse with folks, right? right? Again, it's like, if you understand folks are in community and that they love you and they sometimes just want an explanation, then you're more likely to do that. But if you see people as like, they just come for me, then I'm just like, whatever. And you have to defend yourself rather than communicate yeah, yeah. I, I was struggling for an eloquent segue but you you gave it to me because Uh-oh. beautiful <laughs> i was gonna just ask i was just gonna like flatly ask about the haters but uh, the coming for the the attack yeah. right I, I think you personally your your position uh often gets attacked or or criticized in ways to me when i hear it like feel Uh-oh. absurd like we had a conversation about it about, about a year Which or two one? ago remember you came by Breathing Room yeah. and, and I, I saw you at Barbara's birthday uh-huh. and I was like yo we should sit down because I was like defending you and like we should talk about, <laughs> about yeah this. I don't remember how you why you had to defend me but okay I don't want to say who it was alright it's always somebody but, go ahead go ahead yeah and so you know the relationship to the to the university and oh, like being yeah, a, a yeah, shell yeah. of yeah, like yeah. white supremacy and the Jewish yeah. agenda. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or you know, black lesbians. Black lesbians trying to take, take over, over and emasculate yes. the black man. Right. So That's it's a, it's right. a it's a very flat it is silly 
yeah. analysis because it, it well, you know, but I think there is value for our listeners who write mm-hmm. like don't need to hear that mm-hmm. broken down, but hear mm-hmm. how you deal with it and how you engage, yeah. you know, yeah. that positionality. Yeah. I mean, you know, there was a time when I was younger, I would have said, okay, let's fight. <laughs> like, like, let, let that me is just, one way to do it. Let me just yeah. whip your ass and then we'll be done. <laughs> uh, and my friends from Michigan would be like, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. she would do. Yeah. That's a certain uh, kind of accountability. No, 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 yeah. I, didn't, I didn't do that a lot. A lot. Let me be very good. I didn't do that. I didn't know. Uh, um, here's what you I You only to, have to do it twice. Yeah, that's and right. people know. And then it's like, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know she'll beat your ass. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, why did I agree to come on now? Uh, um, so, okay, let's go back to, to the hater, so to speak. I, I I think it, you know, I'm in a, I'm having coffee. I'm with the two of you. I can be much more, like, gracious, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think, like, people should be skeptical, skeptical of people coming out of the University of Chicago, mm-hmm. right? Like, it has a long history of abusing black communities. Um, right. And I would... Argue, you know, think about the last five years of having to fight for mm-hmm. trauma centers. Yeah. So maybe they haven't gotten that much better. They, they won't like that, but, you know, that's <laughs> just the truth of it. It's not to say there aren't good things there, but there are also things that we still got to struggle around. So, you know, hearing that there's this professor mm-hmm. trying to help young black activists, and if they don't know me, they don't know my politics, I think it's okay for people to be like, I don't know who she is. Now, mm-hmm. the problem becomes um, there are some people who are going to hate on me because I'm a black woman, I'm mm-hmm. a black feminist, I'm a black lesbian, right? All of those things are just things that are non-starters for them right. and that uh, for them trigger people who are trying to take down black communities, not embrace and love right. and mm-hmm. and help liberate black It's not that they don't know who you are. It's that they think they do know who you exactly, are. Exactly. Right, right. That the markers say something about who I am and what my politics are going yeah. to be. And for those people, we're, you know, we, we got to throw down, right? Mm-hmm. We got to say, not, not physically, but, you know, we are going to disagree. And we're going to disagree in ways that I think are not just like disagreements, but I think that you're wrong and hurting <laughs> black people. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we're going to go at it. And I think, you know, we defend people all the time. Thank you for defending me. But uh, we defend people all the time. But I, I would argue it's less, hopefully, about defending me and defending in, instead of political position. Yeah. Exactly. That says this person is kind of rooted in this type of analysis. Mm-hmm. This is the type of work that they are trying to do. And, yes, they are at the University of Chicago. And my work at the University of Chicago is of course it is a job, so it's yeah. a good job. <laughs> um, but it's about leveraging those resources to the benefit of marginalized and oppressed people, um, and trying to kind of do that in a way that's principled, that's transparent, that people can hold me accountable. And they can't always. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is that is the privilege of that I come with, of being at the University of Chicago. There are times when, in fact, folks can't hold me accountable, mm-hmm. or 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 might find it difficult. I hope that I do everything I can to open up those avenues so people can, mm-hmm. you know, say to me, I think mm-hmm. you did this wrong. And sometimes mm-hmm. I do, mm-hmm. you know. How, yeah. how do you, beyond the politics, how do you, like, protect and heal yourself? Mm. Because what what I see the claim being, particularly, you know, let's name it, like, mm-hmm. it, it particularly comes from black men or yeah. even yeah. black women who uphold a, a, a position of like black masculinity Absolutely. and black patriarchy. Mm-hmm. The, the central claim is that 
feminism and in some ways femininity, mm-hmm. but spe- definitely queerness, mm. are tools of white supremacy and yes. are inherently harmful to yeah. us as a community, yeah. which is not rooted in any type of like evidence or right. like rational logic. Right. Uh, and so it, it's cute. My, shout out to my dad. Because, you know, I grew up like not over the top, but like just traditionally homophobic. Uh-huh. Right? <laughs> yes. And so yeah. over the last, like, just, you know, just, just like, I lo- you know, I love middle, just middle of the road. Starter right. package. Yeah. Bottom line homophobia. <laughs> no, no add-ons. Yeah, just, right. just everyday That's homophobic. Right. Uh-huh. And so, everyday you know, it, 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 it's cool because me and my dad, have, I'm, I'm really proud of him mm. because you know him being a public person and him getting so much mm-hmm. of like just the traditional homophobia and that's mm-hmm. being expected of him mm-hmm. uh, as he like uses his public platform he if he posts something that's like off like a little you know they, they're coming to get on us, the edge yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. he'll like invite me to go into the comments or I'll mm-hmm. go in the comments and disrupt all these 50 year olds right um, or or he'll just see something and like within the last week somebody talking about Francis Crest Wesley uh-huh. is like you know they're, they're, they're <laughs> feminizing the man and blah blah yeah, blah yeah, 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 you yeah. know it's trauma to the, you know, all, yeah. all the like ridiculous things. Yeah. Uh, and so even me and him are like mm-hmm. growing and he's expanding mm-hmm. and, and, and curious about how does he break his own homophobia, which makes mm-hmm. sense in mm-hmm. some ways to him. And so, yeah, it, I, I don't think you can like correct that or it's your, your position to explain it. But how do you protect yourself and heal or, mm. or engage that v- claim that people uphold at right. their core sometimes? Right, right. I guess two things come to mind. One is the protection part, and one is what's the intervention and work that's to be mm-hmm, done. And mm-hmm. I, I really do believe that the work to be done, to some degree, is trying to engage in a kind of level of um, political discussion and education that will move people. There are some people not going to be moved, right? Yeah. Like, if you've been thinking this for 60 years, mm-hmm. it's hard to say— being in conversation with me or Charlene or, you know, somebody else who's Barbara or Beth or, you know, that that's going to be like, oh, I get it now. Now they might say, oh, she ain't bad. You know, (laughs) like she's a nice person, but that shit is still crazy, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I, I, in many ways, I think part of what your question reveals is why I'm invested in young people Mm -hmm. or younger people. (laughs) Um, you know, young at heart, but uh, because I'm looking for the kind of places where, in fact, I do think there is going to be significant generational change. And mm-hmm. I think on this issue of of homophobia, it's not, of course, absent in black communities, right. but it looks different mm-hmm. from a millennial generation than it does yeah. baby boomers, right. right? This is the work I do in terms mm-hmm. of surveys. Like, mm-hmm. I can point to the data that says... It's different. I remember. Different um, how? Yeah. Well, I'll give you an example. When I first, when we did our first survey, even of of young black people in 2005, Mm -hmm. the group that was most uh, negative on on kind of questions of rights for people who were gay, lesbian, trans, bi, were young African-Americans. It was Mm -hmm. just clear. And it was like, okay, this is the red flag that says we need to be doing some serious (laughs) political work around these issues. You know, 10 years later, 15 years, almost 15 years later, that's not the case anymore, Mm. right? And so there is a way in which the conversation even around LGBTQ, cis and trans issues, the ways in which, like, people understand trans now Mm -hmm. and understand increasingly cis and, like, that is cultural, political change, right? Mm -hmm. And. Mm That happens, I, I argue all the time, from m- many people in their classrooms taking this up. Like, 
I think there are kind of sites where, in fact, you see this change and you can have this conversation. I, I'll give you another example. I teach uh, a course once a year at Stateville Prison. Mm-hmm. And the gentlemen that I teach are fully engaged in this conversation around cis and trans uh, hmm. privilege, around power. We talk about me being a lesbian. And usually how it then gets discussed is someone will say, yeah, my daughter's a lesbian also, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. And I'm struggling with this. Yeah. But they're struggling with this, right? right? right. And so, you know, I, th- I think that is... That's the goal. The goal is to have more people in conversation, more people thinking, more people reading, more people hearing about these issues. And then like your dad saying, huh, this doesn't feel right, but why don't you come in and help me, help yeah. move me, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's, I don't expect that there's some people who are going to like decide that, you know, they've been invested in an Afrocentric approach to thinking about complementary uh, gender relationships in black communities, and then it's just going to change overnight. Mm-hmm. But it is, I mean, that's why we are engaged in struggle and resistance, right? We're trying to move people. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and and we get moved, yeah. right? Like, you know, I, I let's be real. I was like, I got to do pronouns? What? <laughs> you know, 10 years, like, what? What do I have to do? A yeah. pronoun? And now I'm like, okay, here's my pronoun, yeah, you know? Right. Here's my pronoun. So, you know, we we all learn and we all move. It's It's trying to get to places where people don't double down. Yeah, well, you know, and sometimes or, or they defend, do. You know, and so yeah, for sure. But that's what I'm hearing with right. the example you gave, and and all. It's it's not everyone all of a sudden shifts, right? <laughs> it, but it's when when that moment of tension or contradiction happens, people being open to be in that contradiction or in that tension for a minute at least, right? And, and not run away from it. But the double down, I think, sometimes is a signal that things are really shifting. Like mm, like sometimes mm-hmm, you're doubling mm-hmm. down because. Damn, yeah. everything looks well, like it's just moving. Well, that's what we're moving. seeing. Like macro yeah. right now is yeah. like enough things changed <laughs> that that like for the most part white people were just kind of like hold on a second, like you know, <laughs> and and we not just like we have to make sense of this, but like we have to, you know, that's the like again part of MAGA, right? Mm-hmm. Is like we had to get back slow to down. Let's get let's get back to some of this fascism real quick. <laughs> right, 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 right. We right. can't just discard Whoa. this part Whoa, and parts over here. <laughs> <laughs> just get rid of fascism. About? <laughs> or white supremacy. Right, right. Like, right. You expect yeah. me to give up what? Nah, yeah, exactly. You exactly. tripping. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I want to go. I don't know. You got to go. And we should it's move on. Yeah. yeah. I think. Don't we have to end? Soon. Soon. <laughs> okay. I mean, the show just right. ends when it ends, but we, oh, should, really? we, we should end. Yeah, yeah. I love this. All right. Oh. I, I feel so fed. So I just. Same here. Yeah. I have so enjoyed my conversation. Now, I don't know. People listening might be like, what was that? Yeah, but, well, fuck them. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you made it this far. You're, you know, you know. This is, this is I for didn't us. say that. This I didn't say us. that. We got the we coffee. Just, we got the money. We just had ten minutes on how we're invested in moving people. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> only only podcast listeners. Those That's are the only people that yeah. yeah. we want to move. <laughs> all right. Of course, I'm kidding. All right. I'll, I'll let's stop let's check. Let's do our yeah. checkout. We're gonna, we're gonna check out. Um, so what we like to do now? We had a game that that is on hiatus, but we, we <laughs> just for folks who know, we we, we have uh, perpetual beef with R and B singers. Oh, really? And so every week we would invite a guest for R and B beef, but we're taking a little hiatus for the times wow. because it is a, a a humorous tool to talk about, you know, consent and all that. And right oh. now we got to figure some things out in real life. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what we're doing in the meantime, and maybe we'll conjoin them at some point, is just a checkout. Okay. So you know. A feeling, a thought, or mm-hmm. any threads that are like still 
in the air or, mm. or you know, how, how you feeling about the conversation? What What's ringing in your head? Here's what's ringing in my head. I, first of all, I've so enjoyed talking mm. to the two of you. Uh, you're you're you. both just wonderful and thank you for uh, having me. Of course. I'm susceptible to flattery. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> Most people are. Yeah, that works <laughs> pretty another, well. Yeah. Yet another political tool. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, what I've been struck by is how much of the conversation, at least I feel like on my part, was about kind of love, support, mm-hmm. community. And I think in the midst of all of our work, at least for me, sometimes you don't have time to kind of take stock and figure out that really what you're doing is out of love, right? Mm-hmm, now, yeah. I say this all the time, and you kind of say it, and, but this has, you know, rooted me again in this, that part of the politics is about the love of black people. Like, I love black people. Mm-hmm. You know, I talk about kind of loving the margins of blackness, right? Mm-hmm. Like, people who are on the margin. But it, I, I guess I want to make sure that people know I'm genuine when I say I feel like I've been nourished both by this conversation but by the people who are in my community and mm-hmm. my family, chosen mm-hmm. family, mm-hmm. you know, Beth and Ella. I shouldn't go down the list. All the people that, yeah, those, those are mine. Um, and I just, you know, you want to take a minute to thank folks. Yeah. Thank folks yeah. for, for um, supporting you, caring about you, holding you accountable, and even lying about you. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this this has been a nice moment of reflection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm Thanks. glad. Yeah. Um, well, I'm thinking about some of that. I'm thinking about the moment when you flipped it back on us and, and asked that question, and I, I appreciate being asked it, and I think it's a question that more people should. Like, I'm trying to figure out how to encourage more people to pick that apart, even if they don't leave with a different answer than they did. But having that idea of uh, of queering as a verb rather than as an identity group, I think, is a really powerful force that just opens up a lot of room. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm gonna carry that with me. So thank you. Okay. Yeah, I, I definitely echo that. That was big. A couple of things. One, just you know, the work, um, you know, the, the liberation struggle being a generational project. Mm-hmm. And so something I'm kind of like wrestling with now is, you know, I'm 26, so I'm still, you know, I'm still like the young folks and still feel like a baby. Uh, but there are younger folks. There are younger there folks, are. and so like I'm there already, didn't used to be younger. I'm folks already there. like just in my psyche, yeah. trying to like prepare myself of like. You know, the most impactful work, arguably, mm. is when you make space for the next generation. Mm-hmm. And that is where, you know, results can become clear and tangible. So trying to to figure out in which ways I can start to pivot or prepare myself mm. uh, to, to be more of a provider and space maker as opposed to a frontliner or presenter mm. even though i'm still you know aren't you doing thing. that though with the breathing room trying, i mean yeah I trying, mean, trying even to, the podcast the two of yeah, you are yeah. making space for people to talk you're right you're yeah. right i'll yeah. take that thanks and, and okay <laughs> let me just say how are you how old are you dan i'm dan. 27 okay so 26 and 27 I, i'm glad you're making space but you're okay still yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you get <laughs> no, i say i'm preparing yeah, i yeah, prepare yeah. for that transition. and uh-huh. then and then Definitely the queer, but the, the last mm. thing you know, when, once you use the word Afrocentric, that was what I, mm. I that was a rabbit hole I almost wanted to go down. Um, and so I've been building my logic uh, of how to disrupt the notion that Afrocentricity 
equals homophobia or yeah. Af- or or to be queer is not to be African. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I, I've, I feel like I've done good in that argument. It's stuff I've made up for my own, like, thinking. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was trying to get a little bit more, like, grounding Sorry. in. And so we could, offline, I could kind of, like, chat with some of my my analysis or how I mm-hmm. try to talk to people about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a thread for me that I, I, I'm like committed to yeah some good myth breaking yeah yeah because I, I want to be African centered and so and I, I see myself as that and so trying to resolve some of those conflict and contradictions from my position is something I'm invested in that is a rabbit hole I'm glad we didn't go down yeah there. that, <laughs> that, that but, you saw me pause I was like ah, I it's 120 in I want to go there but, I know but, well, <laughs> I want to know what you mean by African centric right like that's a continent, and it I is. mean, and it can it can be many things. You mean we're, we're the, not the going. geographic middle? I <laughs> know. <laughs> oh, I'm like okay. central. <laughs> yeah, right. And so even right. even here we go breaking <laughs> even breaking you know that notion, but how it is used, right? There there's well, definitely a Black American, and it's in a lot of ways like a romantic idea, mm-hmm. and it, it is conservative, right? It's about mm-hmm. going back to the past and conserving something that we've lost, um, and the and the the belief that is dominant when I engage people who mm-hmm. uphold or even digitally see is is that you know mm-hmm. queerness is the antithesis of what it means to be truly African, which we know um, isn't true. Which we which know, you know is isn't true. true, right? Right, right, right. And so, just trying to like break down that logic is something mm-hmm. that that I'm committed to doing with, mm-hmm. with some of my little little bit of privilege. That, you know, that's a great point, both for thinking about what's the mythology mm-hmm. right. of what it is to be African, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, how does one queerness fit into that mythology, which I would argue it does, you know, if you're thinking about fluidity and all yeah. that stuff. But also just really what does it mean to be in the United States and to go back to, quote, unquote, Africa. Right. Um, and in your with, brain. With, 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 in your brain, but also in your in, in your relationship to kind of capitalism mm-hmm. and yeah. power and empire. Right. right? right, um, right. Yeah. That's a whole nother. So I think you American. <laughs> well, <laughs> yo. <laughs> uh, like, yeah. yeah. So, you know, we can't, we don't allow white people to divest from or, or you know, exactly. separate from whiteness. So that's you got right. we got to own it. But that's, all right. Okay. Let's, let's, yeah. l- yes. let's close the hole. This is wonderful. I just, that's yeah. a, not a, a, a complicated thought, but I feel wonderful. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming yeah, through and yeah, chopping it up with you. us. Is there Thank anything you. you want people to know, promote, How can find? they find you Obviously, in the way oh, you want to be great found? Black yeah, yeah, yeah. Two, two quick things. Uh, well, three quick things. One is you can go to the Black Youth Project. The website still exists. There are these incredible writers. So I would say, say please go, go, go. Two, um, we're now doing this work called Gen Forward, which is uh, a bi-monthly survey of millennials that focuses on disaggregating by race and ethnicity. And you can go to genforwardsurvey.com and get a lot of data. And then third, we and we didn't talk about this at all. Third, we just released a report mm. on young adults in Chicago called Race in Place. And I, I would just suggest that people take a look at that yeah. document. I mean, that report um, that really talks about kind of how young people in different neighborhoods from Pilsen to Chinatown, Bridgeport, to Inglewood, to the north side – experience the same city very differently and and the institutions of this city. And so you have like 20% of African-American young people in Inglewood saying under no circumstances what I call the police, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's a force for bad in my life Mm -hmm. and in my community. So Race in Place is that report, and you can find it at genforwardsurvey.com. Yeah, you gave us physical versions of it that I've been just making my way through. And, you know, folks, get your data right. That's right. (laughs) It's not, you know, we talk a lot about just like our feelings up here, but get get your data right. Let's go. right. We didn't talk about That's what I also love. Data. (laughs) 
<laughs> Dang, that is a whole other rap. You know, we can do this again sometime. Sometime. We, we, we enjoy a, a good part too. So we, we'll, we'll just list stats the entire time. <laughs> that that be would great. be great. Yeah. Well, it's really good coffee here. There you go. That'll do it. Yeah. We, we got an incentive. So right. we can get out of here. We're Ergo. At Ergo Radio, I'm at Ergo Kiss. Damon underscore AF. Follow us on everything. And we'll be back next week with another person reshaping the culture of our city for the more equitable and creative. Much love to the people. Peace. This episode of Ergo is brought to you by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so we didn't.